Okay. All right, welcome guys. Uh, we're going to be starting here in 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to go through the whole book. And I'm going to trust the Lord to lead me as we go through this. Um, I'm going to do verse by verse, but just to give you a heads up, it's not like I'm going to break everything down to, the, to its core. Um, I want to encourage you guys to get in it for yourselves and study it for yourselves. Um, you know, I'll bring out some things that I'm feeling led to bring out as far as for the church and all, but um, just want to encourage you guys just to be reading it and getting into it. Um, this is going to really be important to what the Lord is doing in the church right now and how we're going to look to Him. We're going to trust Him um, with Scripture and what that looks like. Uh, so let's pray before we get started and uh, trust the Lord to speak to us. So Lord, we thank you for this time, and Lord, we thank you for your word that's a lamp unto our feet, and that we can look to you for wisdom, Lord, and that you've given us your word. You haven't left us without a guide and where to look to know how we're to walk, how we're to live together as your people, Lord, and how we are to be a light in this world. So God, just use this time as we go through this book to equip us, to encourage us, to challenge us, Lord, and, and to build uh, your body the way you want to build it, Lord. So we just trust you to be with us and, and uh, just instruct us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm just going to start here in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 17 tonight, okay? So verse 1, I, Paul, called an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of the Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance, all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also conform, sorry, confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, but those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? 
or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So just a little background before we get into it. Who is he speaking to? Obviously, he's speaking to the church at Corinth. Um, he planted this church. He's believed to be in Ephesus. And he's basically receiving letters. He's getting hearsay that there's stuff going on in the church. So he's basically addressing concerns and things that are coming to his attention. So that's what's going on here. Okay, um, the most faithful, wait, sorry, Paul had planted this church in Corinth, uh, but there were some that were qu also questioning his apostleship. In other words, other teachers came in, other people came in, and so they were questioning his authority and criticizing his person and ministry. And really, uh, one of the comments says, the most faithful, useful ministers are not exempt from this disrespect, and I'll amen to that. Um, so he begins with challenging um, this character. Paul called to be an apostle. He basically is letting them know, listen, I didn't desire this position. Um, I was called to this position by God, through the will of God, he says, and Sosthenes, our brother. Now this Sosthenes is believed to be the same guy from Acts 18, who was a leader in the synagogue that was converted. And so he's just, I don't know what the reason is. He's, it's kind of like, hey, he's with me, you know him. Uh, but also, um, I think this guy Sosthenes probably took some slack for his role, what happened there. You got to read uh, Acts 18. So Paul's just kind of putting it out there like, hey, this guy's all right. <laughs> he's with me, you know, he's good. All right. And so then he addresses who it's to. It's to the church of God, which is at Corinth. And then to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, to those who are called to be saints with all, who in every place call on the name of Jesus our Lord, both theirs and ours. So we see it's addressed to this local body in Corinth. It was probably around 58 A.D. when Paul wrote this. And um, Corinth was a port city, so there was a lot of stuff going on that you would typically see in a port city where sailors are coming in. Uh, just a lot of uh, not good stuff going on. A lot of turbulence, a lot of immorality uh, were commonly found. Uh, traders, seamen from all parts of the world were there. So again, he had received some letters and he's basically addressing some matters there in the church. So it's to this little church, but then it also says to those who are sanctified, called to be saints. In other words, it's to people God has called out that have separated to himself for his purposes. So 
the church. He's addressing the church in that manner. That's what we are as the church. And then he says, with all who are in every place who call on the name of Jesus. So that says, this is for us. And I think, you know, God knew when he was writing through Paul that this would be instruction for all churches everywhere, for everyone that put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're doing as a church. We're taking instruction because guess what? The same problems that they saw there, we still deal with today. <clears throat> so Paul gives four distinguishing features that should be found in a church, okay, in these statements. The first one is consecration. In other words, the true church is composed of consecrated people, called out ones, set apart. It means that which is set apart or destined for holy uses. In other words, for God's use. Set apart. It's the same thing when Jesus said, for your sakes, I sanctify myself. I set myself apart for the will of the Father. That's what he did for us. Um, the church, by its very existence, is a body of men and women set apart for holy use. The New Testament word for church, ecclesia, means a society of called out from other men. And obviously, out from the heathen world. We're called out, separated. The second thing is holiness. Called to be saints. We're called to be holy. Those who compose the church are called to be uh, saints. Holiness is the unmistakable characteristic of the true church. And it's the task of the church to exhibit in our lives, in our human lives, the character and the holiness of God. Those whom God calls into his church, he calls above else to be holy. This is important. And the church on, uh, in Corinth was in danger of forgetting this. And we see this later when obviously he's dealing with stuff that's going on in the church that they're not dealing with, sin in the church. Um, so they're in danger of, of forgetting this because the duty of the church is to maintain its purity. Um, those who act for the church must do their best in spite of all difficulty and risk. Um, this duty, however, doesn't primarily rely with the leaders, but lies with the members. And that's important because when Paul addresses them later on with the situation with the guy, um, he's talking to the church. In other words, it's the whole church has to deal with this. It's not just the leader. Obviously, the leaders are doubly responsible, but the church needs to stand for holiness. It's very, very important. Um, those, who function, those whose function is to watch over the purity of the church would be saved from all doubtful action where the individual members alive to the necessity of holy living. And that's kind of what God's been doing here, hasn't he? Um, 
he's, we've been praying for revival. We've been praying for God to work in our midst. Well, part of that is cleansing. And it's something he spoke to me um, in the meetings uh, last weekend that I'm purging the lump. I'm cleaning the lump. This is necessary because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And that's what Paul was dealing with later on. Okay, the third thing is universality. And basically, when he says all, that in every place, call on the name, he's talking not just of a church with a sign over it, Baptist church, uh, Presbyterian church, Assemblies of God, Calvary, Lighthouse Church. He's talking about the universal church, all who call on the name of Christ. And then lastly, unity. Okay, these four characteristics. Um, last one is unity. Um, the Lord of all the churches is one Lord. He's one Lord. And the Lord knows who are His. That's key. The Lord knows who are His. There's a visibly professing church, but there's an invisible church that the Lord knows. And so I just keep that thought. That's important because it really does play into what God is doing now in these days. Um, there's so many different churches and so many different denominations, so many different divisions, which we're going to be looking at in a minute here. But in there, there's an invisible church that's one church. And um, I'll talk about this later, but at some point, that church is going to come out. It's going to happen. And there'll be one church, just like there was in the beginning. Um, it's going to happen one day. So, um, in verse 3, and this is important, and Paul always does this. It's almost like he's always trying to remind the church and followers of Christ of what is theirs. Like reminding them, like, listen, this is for you, and this is what I wish for you, basically. So he says in verse 3, grace to you and peace. In other words, may God's favor be on you and, and peace and the fruits of peace be upon you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank my God concerning you for the grace of God that was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him, in all utterance, in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you don't come short of no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also conform you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This all confirms the promises of the Gospel, really, which Paul is reminding them and does in many other places, like in Ephesians, the first whole three chapters. He's going on and on and on about what is theirs in Christ. And that's something the Lord really, really impressed upon my heart last weekend as part of that Ezekiel 36 is we have to lay hold of that 
in faith. God is asking us to believe Him, to, to stop doubting what He has done and the promises of the Gospel and really to just start walking in it. And Paul has to constantly remind them, and I want to constantly remind you guys, to remember God's promises. Remember what He said He would do. And just begin to walk in it and walk in faith and believe Him to do it. It's so important that we remind ourselves as Paul is doing here what God has promised. So now he begins to deal with the issues that have come, one of them that has come to his attention. So he says in verse 10 here, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you per be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Paulus, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. So there's parties being developed. Or I'll call it a party spirit. Well, I'm of this party. I'm of that party. You know, I'm of the de Democratic Party. I'm of the. It's just what we do. And already we see in the early church, they're doing that. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Christ. So he mentions four parties here. There's a lot more now. We have a lot more parties now. But he mentions four. And it's interesting what these four represent because Paul represents kind of like the one who brought the gospel kind of like the father of their faith so there's going to be those that are naturally drawn to Paul and then you have Apollos who waxed elegant you know and he came in behind Paul and was a phenomenal teacher and so they some people especially the Corinthians who were Greeks they prided themselves on that you know eloquent speech and being able to speak well and all that and deep thinking and so they those people gravitated towards Apollos and then you have Cephas who's Peter and the Jews, the Hebrews, would gravitate because he's a law guy. Yeah, we could relate to Peter, you know. And so he would more draw those people that were more comfortable. And oh, and he was an original apostle as well, you know. So we're with Peter. And then this last group, it's very interesting. They. They call themselves, we're of Christ. And at face value, we hear that and we're like, yeah, that's me. That's what I want to be. But that's not because we're going to find out in 2 Corinthians, we see their true colors. They're actually self-appointed apostles that are saying basically, we have a direct word from God. And it, it, I couldn't help but it reminded me of the NAR movement that we have today, these self-appointed apostles that have direct access to God and, it, and then it gets extra biblical. And what we see with this, these false teachers is they're preaching another gospel and Paul confronts them 
in 2 Corinthians. He really doesn't know their true colors at this point. But later on in 2 Corinthians, we'll see, he pretty much just calls them out that they're preaching another gospel. And that's what happens when we think we're the ones and we get in some special revelation from the Lord. So there's four groups, okay? And then in verse 13, he says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So divisions were rife. They were rampant in the church at Corinth. Their divisions consisted in ardent preferences for certain ministers. And Paul is admonishing them, pleading with them. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? And it's that party spirit that has been a curse to Christianity. It really has been a curse. It, it has caused so much division in Christianity. How often do we hear preachers on platforms compare the different denominations to regiments in the same army? Do regiments in the same army fight each other? Would that be a successful army? If the same regiments of the same army were fighting together? No, they all should be fighting on the same side, right? But a lot of times we're fighting with each other because of our party spirit. And I'm not a prophet, guys, at, at, by no means, but I really do, did feel like God spoke to me the other day that we are headed, um, that God's calling a remnant out. And it's not that everyone will come out of their church necessarily, but if they don't let go of, well, this is who I am or this is who I follow or whatever, if they don't let go of it, they're going to miss what God is doing in his remnant, what God is doing in the days we're living it, because he's calling us out. He's getting our eyes on him and off of man. That's Paul's whole point in this. And our problem is, is we just normally gravitate to making it about man, making it about us. And we're going to see in the rest of this chapter that we won't look at the whole thing tonight, like Paul's driving home. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's Jesus and him crucified. It's not about Paul. It's not about Apollos. It's not about your denomination. It's not about your doctrine. Whatever it is, we do it with so many things. And Paul is really coming against it. So I believe that's going to happen at some point. God's calling us out. We see this. I talked about it a little bit the other day. Since COVID, right? This polarization in politics. You, you get online, right? And who wears a mask? Who doesn't wear a mask? Uh, you know, who's against this or not against that? And it's, it's getting violent. It's getting to where people hate one another. Um, Rose listened to a podcast last night with uh, Dr. Michael Brown, who's a phenomenal teacher. He was one of the guys at the Brownsville Revival. And he, he, he had the audacity to say that Trump is not our answer. And he said he could not believe the hatred mail he got from Christians. 
And he's like, what kingdom are we living for? And it just shows like that Christians, so many Christians are getting caught up in this party spirit and looking to man. And it's that same polarization. And it's a spirit. It really is. And it's getting stronger and stronger. And I see it in the church. I see it when I get on YouTube. And you have all these guys denouncing this, denouncing that, and all that. And we need to beware of false teachers. But they're doing it against just people that just don't believe everything they believe. It's not necessarily just false teachers. So um, just be careful. You know, if you're looking for your favorite teachers on YouTube to get to the truth, you're missing it. We got to start looking to the scriptures. And that's what we're determined to do here. I mean, that's what this is all about right now. Getting in the scriptures. God, what do you say? What do you say? How do we deal with this, Lord? How do we dwell together? Lord, what do you say? Not what does this guy think? What, what's this guy's opinion? And really getting in the Word of God and, and trusting the Holy Spirit to help us and guide us. We're going to need this. So what are the causes of these party divisions? And the, the ultimate cause is really man's finite mind trying, thinking he can figure out God's infinite mind. That he can figure it all out. And I just want to tell you guys, I don't have it all figured out. That's why Paul kept it simple. They didn't like that. The Greeks didn't like that Paul kept it simple. They were into the deep knowledge, you know. But Paul kept it simple. You know, they, they, they said about his preaching isn't, his appearance isn't that great, his preaching isn't that whatever, you know. He, he didn't wax eloquent, eloquent, but he did preach the power of the gospel in the power of God. Um, so that people's faith would be in God and not in man. So that's, that's the main thing. You know, man thinking he could figure everything out. Um, it's just impossible. Then um, we naturally and rightly concentrate our attention upon a fragment of truth which we have realized for ourselves to be true and precious, but gradually we think that one truth is the whole truth. Okay? And you see that all the time. You got what I said there, right? Okay. All right, so that's another. The next one is we affirm that because others don't see with our eyes, they must be in error if they're not seeing things my way. They must be in error. Um, <laughs> So, um, in the day, and then in the days of revival, or let's say God's working in our life, there's a danger of party contentions, because uh, conviction is intense, enthusiasm is abounding in that kind of an atmosphere, and that we got to be careful right now. I got to be careful right now, you know, especially like after weekend, like last weekend, you know, that God really did something, spoke to me, like I got to be careful, like okay. Let's not go off on a tangent now. We got to keep to the scriptures. And we're not the one. I'm not the one. You know, no, it's God. It's his, it's his word. Um, so then uh, 
there's use of phraseology too. And this, you just see this. Um, people just talk the way their party talks, right? The same phrases and all that. Um, I like what one commentator said. He said, extreme begets extremes. If one set of men form themselves into an exclusive party with narrow views and aims, the almost certain consequence is that those who are of the opposite way of thinking will form a party to resist them. It's just true. And so we have to guard ourselves from that spirit. We're not the ones. We don't have the, the market on the truth. We're just trying to humbly follow what the scripture says. We want all that God has for us. We want to be the most effective people in church for God. That's all. It's like I said last Sunday, whatever. It's not my responsibility what another pastor does in his church. I have to try and humbly as best as I can follow the scriptures because I want to be the best that God wants me to be. And I want to make sure I'm following him. Okay? So, um, what does party spirit cause? Well, it causes the decay of spiritual life because it voids us of love. It, it dries up love for one another. And again, don't we see that with the polarization and all the other things? Love goes out the window. Um, a party spirit is a, is a grievous hindrance to the growth of God's kingdom. A party spirit is a waste of strength. It's a waste of time. That's why I don't, I'm not a debater. I don't get it. It's a waste of my time. You got to figure it out? Great. <laughs> um, I don't have time for that. It's a waste of strength. Party divisions are a stumbling block to weak believers because they're like, does anyone know what they're talking about? Does anyone agree? They come into a church and they, they don't know what to believe. So it's a stumbling block. Party divisions are a laughing stock to unbelievers when they look at the church and see all the divisions. So is Christ divided? No. Listen, we all come from different backgrounds here, right? Um, I can't tell you how many times I've had someone come to me and say, well, this is how we did it at our church. What do you think of this? Um, please don't, don't say that to me. <laughs> um, I don't even know what I'm doing half the time. Um, and especially with what God's doing right now, like he's starting to build, he's wiped the slate clean. Um, we're going to take this slow and it's not, a, I don't, I'm not worried about what someone else is doing. What does God want us to do? What's the pattern in Scripture? What's it look like in Scripture? That's what we're going to follow. Scripture. As best we can. Okay? Um, we need to be unified in the fear of God. We need to be unified in the fear of God, in the love of God, in whom He's sanctified in us, Remember, that was the promise in Ezekiel 36. I will be sanctified. When I'm hallowed in your eyes, then the world's going to know. 
People who walk with him in intimacy, that's what he's after. People who know him and he knows them. People that are full of the Holy Spirit who bear witness to him, not with the world's wisdom or with the world's methods, but in the power of God. So people are drawn to God and not methods or a place or a person. That's what we're after. So then he goes on here in verse 14. I thank God I, I, I baptize none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptize in my own name. Yes, I also baptize the household of Stephanus. Besides, I don't know whether I baptize any other. And here's uh, the, the key verse to end here with. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but he sent me to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. And that's the key phrase for tonight. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. What does he mean by that? Does he mean the wooden cross? Is that what he's talking about? Lest the, that symbol be made of no effect? He uses the word as a symbol, but he meant the principles which the cross of Christ was at once the effect, the evidence, and the expression. He meant, in one word, all that we know as the gospel. That's what he meant. He's talking about the gospel. So he's saying, let's keep the gospel at the center. Now, I work with guys on the board of uh, a ministry, and we have differences, but there's perfect unity. You know why? And we've all agreed we're going to major on the gospel. And our differences are never a problem. Do we go to different churches? Yeah. Um, but can we work together? Absolutely. Do we love each other? Absolutely. Because we make the gospel the center. So let's keep the gospel at the center. He says, not with the wisdom of words, or speech. So we're to preach the gospel not in our own wisdom, not in our own abilities, not with the ways of this world. Um, and he expresses that better in, second, in the second chapter. Um, but basically, that same thing the Corinthians put a value on. The human mind and just human wisdom and ways of expressing it. He's saying, I'm not going to present the gospel that way. I'm going to do it in the power of God. And listen to this one statement, and I've seen this. Fine preaching feeds man's pride. Plain preaching brings glory to God and benefits a man. And what they mean by that is um, if there's no spirit, but it's good and, you know, the person's a good orator and they know how to just phrase things and they're eloquent with words, it feeds something. It feeds the wrong thing. Knowledge puffs up. If there's no spirit, it, knowledge puffs up. And, and so let's keep it simple. Let's just focus on the gospel. Let's preach it in humility. Let's 
rely on the Spirit of God to convey His heart through the gospel in the power of God, lest the cross of Christ be made of none effect. In other words, made void. Like you, it's like you gut out the gospel, what it's really intended to do. And I think that's happened a lot in the church. We've gutted the gospel. It's, we're, giving not, we're not giving it in all of its power that it's meant to be because we've relied too much on our learning, on the ways of the world. I mean, you name it. Uh, we've tried to prop it up. With, it doesn't need any propping up. The gospel needs absolutely no propping up when it's given in the power of God. So we don't want to do that. There's a gospel to be preached. And God is calling us as a church, as his people, to bring that gospel to the lost. So amid all the diversities, all the doctrinal differences, all the rituals, there's something that must be found in all that we do as his church. That Christ alone can save men. That he can save any man and all men. In other words, there's no one too hard for him. There's no situation too difficult. The gospel is powerful. He wants to remind you that in your life, because if it's not real to you, how are you going to present that to someone else? So it's got to be working effectively in you so that you could present it effectively to somebody else. <clears throat> so the Lord is still looking for men and women through whom, through whom he can demonstrate the gospel in that way. <clears throat> so we don't want to be a part of that spirit, right? That Paul's dealing with, that religious, worldly spirit that causes division. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ, even with our differences. Um, the problem is when we become an agent of division, making statements that place ourselves above everyone else who doesn't see things our way. And I'm just telling you guys, we're going to have to really, really guard our hearts from that. It's so easy to slip into that. And Paul will help us with that in the latter part of the chapter. That, that, those, that bunch of scriptures he gave me, he basically told me, Jeff, just keep reading that and remind yourself of what I called, basically. Um, the foolish things that are not, the base things, that, that would be me. That no flesh would glory in his presence. So my goal <clears throat> is to approach scripture humbly, to want what God wants, to allow him to reveal inner truth to my inner man, to get my natural reasoning mind out of the way because it can't understand the things of God. I've been praying a lot more, and I would encourage you guys to do that. A lot more, Lord, help me to understand what I'm reading. God, help me to know the things you want me to know before I even start reading the Bible and just reading it over and over and over again without seeing what other men's opinions are and reading it in the context. And there's a time to study. There's a time we, we do want to make sure we, we understand who he's speaking to and why and, and all those things. But we need the Spirit of God. We can't just study with our minds. That's part of it. He gave us a mind. He wants us to use it. 
but it's the Holy Spirit that reveals truth. It's the Holy Spirit that will guide you into truth. It's the Holy Spirit that will reveal the deeper things of God to you. Because Scripture is inexhaustible. What I've been finding as I go over that Ezekiel 36 passage, the more I read it, the more God's speaking to me through it. The more I'm getting out of it, the more things I'm seeing. It's inexhaustible, the Word of God. It's, I've heard it before, it's like mining for gold. You know, you just keep digging, digging, and finding more, and finding more, and finding more. And we need to just be like that with the Word of God, man. God has nuggets of, of gold in there for us that He wants to share with us. So we need the Holy Spirit, and He will guide us if we're sincere and we're open. Because if it's in Scripture, I want it. That's all I know, guys. If it's in Scripture, I want it. If it was in the early church, I want it. I need it. Uh, that's just how I'm looking at it. That's just how I see it in Scripture. If they needed it, we needed it. If they did it this way, this is how God expects us to do it. If this is how we're supposed to dwell together, because that's how God, then that's how we should dwell together. It doesn't matter what everyone's opinion is or what everyone is doing. It matters what God says, period. And that's, that's where God is, is bringing us to. So our mission hasn't changed. It's the gospel. That's basically what Paul comes back to and he's going to really drive it home in the rest of this chapter so our mission is luke 4 18 and 19 the spirit of the lord is upon us he's anointed us to preach the gospel to the poor he's sending us to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what this is about. And as we look to Him and trust Him, He's going to help us to be those effective witnesses. So um, I'm excited about going through this book. It's been good already, rich already. Again, I just want to encourage you guys, you've got to get in it for yourself okay just be reading over it and so when we come together and go over it god will be able to impart more or maybe just confirm some things he was showing you okay um also i would encourage you guys you know get together and talk about it between yourselves um that that could be a time um, where you're sharing with one another what God's been speaking to you and maybe things he's been showing you as we're going through it. And uh, I believe we're going to grow stronger and more focused on what God wants us to be focused on as we go through this together. So, Lord, we thank you for your word, and uh, we thank you, Father, for what you're doing. Um, and I pray as we continue to get in your word together, uh, you would just continue to lead us, guide us, instruct us, impart the things into us, Lord, you're wanting to impart to us and to build this church according to your word, not man's ideas or opinions, so that truly you can be glorified and men and women and children can be drawn to you, not a place, not a man, 
but to you, Lord. That's all we want. We want you to be glorified. I know that was Paul's heart. It's my heart. I know it's our heart, Lord. We want you to be glorified. We want people to truly encounter the gospel in all of its fullness and power and what you intended for it to be, Lord. So I thank you, and I pray that for all of us as well, Lord, that we would walk in that power, that we would experience the benefits and the promises that you've already accomplished for us, God. Help us to walk in it in faith, Lord. Help us to grow in that grace and in that knowledge, Lord, as we continue, just as Paul would pray for those who would come to the faith, Lord. Just root us and ground us deeper and deeper Root us in your love, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.